You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about our church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Thanks everyone coming out to Redemption Hill Church. We're a church plant um, started in November and we're still going strong by God's grace. And uh, if you've been around at least last week and going into next week, we're in this sermon series called Spirit and Sacraments. And, and part of the focus, as a reminder, is that we're going to focus on what are the means of grace that God has given to the local church. And so there are a few areas we've identified, and as a church plant, we want to clarify. So last week we talked about the Lord's table as a means of grace that God has given to the local church. We celebrate that every Sunday at Redemption Hill Church. Today we got baptism, and then next week we'll talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think another means of grace for the local church. Um, Just one kind of caveat uh, before getting into the message. Uh, We're used to going through books of the Bible at Redemption Hill Church, which means we love expositional preaching. And my my confession for you this morning is that um, um, this is not going to have that tenor or, I guess, flavor. And that was a little frustrating as I began to write the sermon because that's what I'm used to. It does take on more of a topical um, sense. And you'll see that as we go. And, And part of that is because as we get into New Testament baptism, we have a plethora of scriptures that help build it out from Matthew, we go into Revelation, and to um, use one text, which we will use, um, but I had to kind of deviate off course a little bit and in, in a roundabout way get back to the text. So that's my caveat before getting into the message. So let me begin with this. Shortly after uh, April 25th, uh, 1981, my parents took me and my twin brother Kelly to St. Joe's Catholic Church in Marion, Iowa, right? Um, it's where I was baptized as an infant. My, at my baptism, a priest took a little water, ran it over my forehead, my, I would assume also my twin brother's forehead, um, at least that's standard Catholic practice, and um, the priest committed my life and my twin brother's life to the Catholic Church. Uh, of course, I don't remember all the details of the occasion um, as far as I can tell, the event had no lasting significance on my life. Uh, my parents did their part as good Catholics, right? Like, okay, bat- kid is boring, what do we do next? Beeline it to baptism, that's what they did. Uh, for almost 22 years after I was baptized, I gave little thought to the baptism I had received as an infant. I didn't think much about what baptism rep- represents, the effects of baptism, or what baptism meant for my salvation, Right? That question is out there. I didn't give it much thought until I was saved in my early 20s. And then I began to read my Bible. I started to read my Bible, and I did so with like, curiosity. Right? Right? Basically, all I was trying to do is like, this is how I grew up, and these are the religious traditions that I was raised in. Now I'm reading the Bible, and how does all that map on, or does it map on at all? And what was happening in that time also, and which is, this is significant for today, especially when we talk about baptism, is that I was beginning to understand the authority of Scripture. The Bible was becoming my lens for how I understand various theological positions and traditions that I was taught. And I'm 
being like, whoa, okay, this is what the Bible says. This is what I was taught. Now, how do I reconcile all that? Well, part of the answer is the Bible became my guide, my teacher, the authority, my life. God's word is where we look. So just like last week's topic on the Lord's table, the subject of baptism can spark debate between like denominations and churches and even friends, even in the Reformation. The Reformation, people died over baptism. Just like people died over the Lord's table. We gave stories last week. I'll save you the stories this week, but that was a thing. So the oversimplification of the debate is this. Is baptism conferred after a child is born, just like the story I shared with you about my own personal experience, or is baptism for a person who has first made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ? Does the Bible affirm paedo-baptism, paedo means child, or credo-baptism, I like to call credo-baptism confessional baptism. If baptism is a means of grace from God to the person that is being baptized. If that is the case, then I think it is essential we understand who has the opportunity to receive baptism. Should a person be baptized because he or she was born into a particular denom- denomination? Or does baptism first require confession of faith? This morning, I'll even dive into questions like, what does baptism look like? And what is the context of baptism? Can we just go anywhere? Can people hang out over there and say, hey, let's get baptized. And we dunk them, then we're good. What's the context? What does God's word tell us? And so we go to God's word and search for answers. So like I said, we're going to place our ultimate authority in the scriptures. Now, I love tradition. If you know me, you know I love church history. But ultimately, we come to God's word to instruct us this morning. And what do we see in the Gospel of Mark, which Brooks read for us? We see the Gospel writer comes right out of the gate talking about John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, and the baptism of Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, there is no mention of the birth of Jesus, where, where if you read Matthew and Luke, like we got the birth narratives. And then, you know, we're going to get to baptism here in a moment. But, but Mark's like, no, we're going right to baptism right away. And the question is, why? Why does he make a beeline to the baptism of Jesus? Well, the baptism of Jesus signifies the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist is a curious fellow. Um, like, he's like the guy in your family that he's, you know, you know biologically is a part of your family, but he's like wearing the belt and eating locusts, and you're like, yeah, but he's over there. <laughs> you know, he's that guy, but he's also a prophet. A little bit of uh, background here. For hundreds of years, approximately 400 years, there was silence um, for the Jewish people. There were prophets speaking and preaching and declaring. God was using people. And then there was silence. And now John the Baptist comes on the scene. And everyone's like, whoa, what is going on here? What we read in Mark 1 is a watershed moment. It's a big deal. A combination of of Malachi 3 and Isaiah 43 helps us to understand the role of John the Baptist in the first century. Here it is again. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. 
the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. That's where John was coming from, which is very symbolic. Israel was coming out of the wilderness. You read your Old Testament. Now we have John coming out of the wilderness, preaching and prophesying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John's ordained task was to preach and baptize, and Jews throughout all Judea and Jerusalem came to this prophet to hear and see what's going on. Like, we haven't seen this before in my lifetime. What's up with this? Now, I've got I to gotta pause for a moment. This is a longer parenthetical statement. And ask this question, and it's a question I've actually been pondering all week. Where did baptism come from? You ever thought about that question? Like, where did it come from? We talked about the Lord's table last week, and there's clear connections with the Old Testament. What about baptism? Why was John the Baptist not only adamant about his message, what he was declaring, but adamant about the sign that accompanied the message? Unfortunately, the Old Testament does not give us enough information to come to a definitive conclusion about the, old, about the origins of baptism. Like we just, It just doesn't. And if you know me, I love biblical theology. I love seeing things weaved from the beginning of God's story of redemption to the end. So for me to kind of come to that conclusion, I'm like, ah, come on! You serious? There's got to be something there! And if I'm being honest with myself, No. Not. So I gotta ask the other question. Okay, is there a context, an historical context, that John was living in and he was doing ministry in, in which there could be maybe some shades of baptism? And the answer is yes. And I say these, um, I give these proposals as just options. One alternative is that um, for, for many years prior to the first century, there were sects within Judaism who went through ritual cleansings. And we went like this You're gonna go eat dinner? Well, you gotta go take a big bath. <laughs> And there was a ritual cleansing before you can eat. So, so for John the Baptist to come and like, put people underwater, it wasn't entirely off-putting. All people had to put, the, put things together, like what's with the message and all this. So that, that's one possible way that, you know, a context in which baptism came out of. A bunch of scholars also suggest this second idea, which is prior to the first century, in order for a Gentile to be converted to Judaism, so before Christianity, the Gentile needed to get baptized. So there, there's a process. Now, a lot of people disagree with that, too. So here, here's the underlying um, answer to the question, where did baptism come from? We don't know. Other than this, it's clear God was using John the Baptist in baptism to start something new. That's clear. Now, could there be more information we don't have that would help build that out? Sure. But God was starting something new. So regardless of the historical origins of baptism, the combination of the message and mode of baptism, as we read in the gospel, that like wrinkled the feathers of the elite religious folks of the day. People were seeing John doing this, and they're like, whoa, what are you doing, man? Baptism would have been an anathema to many religious Jews because, in part, what John was saying. John's ministry would have been like Church A, which had been around for hundreds of years, getting upset at the new church in the area, Church B, because all the folks from Church A were going over to Church B 
to see what was going on. And then some of the people from Church A who went over to Church B were like, whoa, this, I'm beginning to believe this message over at Church B. So there was tension in the air when John arrived on the scene and moved into his ministry. Yet the Gospel of John tells us, even though the religious elite didn't like it, that Jews were going to John in droves to be baptized in the Jordan River. I think the Gospel of Mark begins with baptism, not only because it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but God was trying to show that something new was being established here. There is a history of unrighteousness, but now something new has come to deal with the unrighteousness. Have you ever heard of the saying, out with the old and in with the new? Well, baptism surely signified the transition from old to new. Now here's the clear message of John the Baptist. Imagine hearing this. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins, verse 4. Repent. The call to repent meant for a person to turn from sin and toward God. The call to repent was to turn your back on unrighteousness and turn to the God of the Bible. In verse 5, John also says, repent and confess your sins. Lay it all out there. Not the most popular message for our 21st century culture. I think we all yeah, look at faces. Yeah, <laughs> not the most popular thing in the world. Be like, repent and confess. And yet, what does God's word tell us? Let's, let's even go to Acts 2. Peter picks up on this. And Peter said to them, and this is at the Pentecost sermon, where tongues of fire comes down. We're going to get into this in the weeks ahead. It'll be fun, but for now, here's, here's what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. Tough message, but a meaningful one. So even though we cannot pin where baptism came from. We do know from the New Testament why baptism is significant. It is about the message. The meaning of the message helps give baptism its significance. Let's go a bit deeper into what Mark and other passages in the New Testament tell us about baptism. To help kind of guide the remainder of this message, I'm going to show three distinct areas of New Testament baptism. Here we go. The first is going to be the mode of baptism, right? So do we sprinkle babies or do we dunk? Right? The mode of baptism. Then the meaning of baptism. What does it mean to be baptized? So we'll just do it out of tradition. There's a meaning connected to baptism. And then finally, the mission of baptism. I'm going to show you how the baptism of Jesus, your baptism, Christian, is connected to the mission of Jesus. It's a beautiful thread that's woven throughout the New Testament. So let's first look at the mode of baptism. It is not disputed. Let me say that again. It is not disputed that the mode of baptism in the New Testament in the first century was by water immersion. Even my Presbyterian friends, who I love dearly, are going to admit that. The Greek word for baptism, baptizo, literally meant for a person to be put under the water, like all the way down. Uh, in Mark 1, we read that John the Baptist took people to the Jordan River. There's plenty of water at the Jordan River to put people under the water. 
John wasn't grabbing, you know, the cup of water and putting it over someone's forehead. Folks were being put entirely under. Even Jesus followed suit. The baptism of Jesus shows us the practice of immersion. Here's verse 10. And when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, to come up out of the water, you need to have gone down into the water. When we arrive at the book of Acts, which, like I said, we'll dive into the weeks, months, and year ahead, it will provide multiple examples of baptism by immersion. In Acts, Philip, the disciple of Jesus Christ, encounters, there's just one example, encounters an Ethiopian eunuch who was part of this court office, guy who was a big deal. Philip opens the Bible to this Ethiopian eunuch, goes to the Old Testament, and shows him Jesus in the Old Testament. Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. And then what happens next? Here's what Acts tells us. And as they were going along the road, they came, to, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Immersion. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, and the story continues to go on. Again, I'm sure you see the language of going down and coming up. Like I said, I, I love my Pado baptist friends, and I can do gospel ministry with my Pado baptist friends. I surely can. They love the gospel. I'm all in. Let's partner. However, I think the New Testament is really clear that baptism is by immersion. I don't think it can be more obvious, frankly. Now, let me ask this question. I think this is a fair question, because there's always exceptions to the rule right? Is there a time and place where water immersion does not need to be followed, right? It's a, good, it's a fair question, right? If someone has like a water phobia, I mean, I'm not making light of that. I mean that. Or if you're in the middle of a desert, right, and there's no water around, or very little water around, what do you do? You go grab the jar and you get baptized that way, right? So I'm giving the exceptions to the rule, and I think that's fine, um, as long as it doesn't betray the meaning of baptism, which we'll get to here in a moment. But I do think to follow the New Testament pattern is to follow baptism by immersion. I have two more thoughts regarding the mode of baptism, and it's, it's stated in the obvious, but when we read Mark 1 through 11, um, these baptisms were done in public, right? People were around. People weren't going and do things privately. It's clear it was on display for others to see. And I think, to a degree, this should still be the case. Baptism is a public response and proclamation of the work of the gospel in the life of the individual who's getting baptized. In our context, public can mean local church, right? Now, we don't have the command in the Bible, thou shalt baptize in public. You're not going to read that. But we do have the model of baptism in the Gospel of Mark. And when you take that example from John's ministry and couple it with what the New Testament says just about the local church, I think a compelling argument can be made that a public profession and baptism should come in the context of the local church. The same logic holds true when I was talking about the Lord's Supper last week. The two sacraments are community events. We do it together as a family. We declare the glory to God, the glory of God together as a family. Now, could there be situations, again, where what is preferred is not an option? 
for sure. Absolutely. However, if there's a preference, I think both sacraments should be done in the local church. One more thought regarding the mode of baptism. Uh, a, a public baptism is a public profession of the gospel. Baptism is a testimony of the grace of God. When I went through confessional baptism in my early 20s, I was able to publicly share how God saved me through the gospel in front of my family and my friends. I mean, I'll never forget it. Baptism is a sacrament saturated by the Holy Spirit that celebrates the glory of God through the life of an individual. And and, and an individual's testimony is powerful in that moment of baptism. Let me share a story about baptism, a baptism that took place in another country. And and it gets to the, the, the power of a testimony in baptism. When I was in seminary, this was years ago now, I I took this class on missions. It was actually about the persecuted um, church throughout the world. The focus was um, really powerful, I think. My professor told a story about the seriousness and dangers of public baptism. And so he tells a story of an individual living in a Muslim country. He gets saved, right? So he's clearly the minority. And to publicly declare your baptism meant death. But the individual went through with the baptism because he knew the message that was on display. He knew it was his opportunity, despite the fact that he could have died, that the, that the gospel was going to go out. And for many years, after the New Testament, that was the case. People would be baptized, and they were baptized with the awareness that death could follow their baptism, but the testimony was more important than anything else. The gospel was going forth. Baptisms are a powerful message of God's saving grace. I I understand that doing something publicly is not everyone's jam, not their cup of tea. Some people hate the stage, I get that. Um, Despite preaching every week, I I grew up hating public speaking. My knees were always shaking, that whole thing. I I I get that, I get that. However, the gospel is greater than our fears, and it is a privilege to publicly share the gospel in front of family and friends and strangers. Another question we have to ask, I said that was the last thing I want to say about the mode, and I have one more regarding the mode of baptism, is who should be baptized, right? Got to ask that question. Mark gives a clue, and the clue is further clarified in other parts of the New Testament. Those who are baptized have repented or turned from unrighteousness and confessed sin. Verse 4 and 5. The New Testament says this is done when a person receives faith. Back to Philip for a moment in Acts 8. Before Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, he preached the gospel in other areas like Samaria. So different context, same person preaching. God used his preaching. It says in Acts 8, but when they believed Philip, people were believing, Philip was preaching, the gospel was going out, people were getting saved, they were baptized, both men and women. Baptism always comes after a person confesses Jesus as the Son of God, that Jesus is the Lord and King of the universe, the Savior of souls. Romans 10 nails the importance of a personal confession 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one, conf- one confesses and is saved. So the person who is baptized has confessed faith, repented of sin, confessed faith in Jesus. So let me step back for a moment with the mode of baptism kind of laid down. Let me step back for a moment and let you into my head, not as a pastor, but as a Christian father. We have many kids in this church. There's families who aren't here today. So I want to help parents think well about baptism, right? I have two awesome daughters. I got permission from one of my daughters to talk about this. Um, They're pastor's daughters. They've been attending church since they came out of the womb, (laughs) since they were born. I've read devotions to them. I pray with them almost every single night. And yet neither of my kids have been baptized. Why? If God has set his electing love upon them, then I want them to see with the eyes of their heart the beauty of baptism. If God in his mercy and grace has or will give them faith, then I want their baptism to be a joyous step of obedience toward their Savior, not toward their dad. I want it to be because of their love for Jesus. I want my kids to understand and rejoice in their confession of faith before they're baptized. As a father who's trying to point them to Jesus, not on a Sunday morning, I'm talking about like at home. I'm merely trying to follow the New Testament model of baptism. Parents, a child's confession of faith and subsequent baptism would look different for every child. So don't feel the pressure by looking at that family and say that's how it should be done. There's no, there's no, there's no like, these are the five things you... You know, you got to be this age, you got to be this tall or whatever. There's none of that. So don't feel that pressure. I'm going to say this on Father's Day. Fathers, it's important we dial in to the spiritual needs of our kids and we pay attention and we pastor them. If we believe they've given a genuine confession of faith, then we pastor them toward baptism as well. And that's going to look different for families to family, from kids to kids. Point them to Jesus. And if God saves them, you help them understand what the Bible tells them about baptism. So the mode of baptism in the New Testament is by immersion. Baptism is public. Baptism is reserved for individuals who have made a profession of faith. Now that we've seen the mode of baptism, I want to show you the meaning of baptism. What does baptism signify? What do we, what do, we do this in the first place, right? We're just not putting people under the water just for fun. There's a reason why we do that. There's a meaning connected to it. It's powerful. And we're going we're gonna to pivot from, from Mark to Romans 6. God used John the Baptist to start something new. And as the New Testament kind of unfolds, we read of a more defined meaning of baptism. Here it is, verses 3 to 6 from Romans 6. Here's the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that all, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that, 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection like his. Last verse there. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What these verses mean is that each believer, each person gave a profession of faith. You got the, you got the, you got the mark of the gospel on you. Is you, the believers united to Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. Baptism signifies unity with Christ. Baptism reminds us we're no longer under the dominion of sin or Satan or death. And, but we are a new creation free in Christ. Union with Christ is being symbolized when a person goes under the water of baptism. If if you've been baptized, think about this for yourself. Union with Christ is being symbolized when a person goes under the water, when you went under the water of baptism. Every person of faith who goes under the water of baptism symbolically dies to the old self and the sinful nature. You go under, you're dying. Sin no longer has dominion over, over you. Satan no longer has control over you. You no longer have to worry about death. You died to that old man. You've been united with Christ. When a person comes up out of the water of baptism, symbolically, they rise into the new life they have received through Christ. Rising from that death. It's a, again, a symbol, symbolic here. A symbolic resurrection is taking place. It's comforting it's a comforting and confirming picture of our life in Jesus. Baptism is a visible reminder of what happened in our hearts the day we put our trust in Jesus. Colossians 2, 11 and 12 shows us the beauty of the progression of faith leading toward this symbolism of baptism. Ryan actually read it earlier. I'm going to read it one more time. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, so not the Old Testament way of doing circumcision. We're talking about something spiritual here. By putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in his baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he has raised you to newness of life. I think, I think it's important to be clear that baptism does not save a person. I think it's very important to say. Colossians 2.11 says a spiritual circumcision of the heart is how a person is saved. Jesus does the saving. Baptism is a picture, a symbolic picture, of how Jesus saves. After reading Romans 6 and then Colossians 2, it's clear, I think, that baptism is an obedient and symbolic response by a person who has faith in Jesus. Now, a lot of questions rolled through my mind while preparing this sermon. 
um, in, in part for me, just to be very personal, I was baptized as a child and then as an adult, so got a lot to, in terms of experience, got a lot to work with here. But as it pertains to the text, this, this, this thought came to mind. Why did Jesus receive the sacrament of baptism? You think about that? Another, another question is like, I'm going through this, I'm like, I've never thought about that one either. Why did the gospel writers, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, find it important to record this event about the life of Christ? Why did Jesus get baptized? I, I, I ask the question because it, I think it helps inform the meaning of baptism. Right? I think that's what I discovered. This helps inform what baptism means. Jesus did not need to be forgiven. Jesus did not need his sins atoned for because he is sinless. Jesus did not need to worry about death because he is eternal. So why did Jesus receive the sacrament of baptism from John? Because God is merciful and gracious, and because he's merciful and gracious, gracious Jesus was baptized so that we could identify with him. It's amazing how much when you read the New Testament, we're told we can identify with Jesus. And this is just another way we get to identify with Christ. Through baptism, Jesus placed himself with sinners and among the guilty. You got all these people coming to John, remember, from Mark, all these people coming. The unrighteous, the sinners. And then you have the sinless son of God coming. And what's that mean? He's identifying himself with them. Jesus was baptized so that we could have a visual reminder of his horrific and beautiful death, along with his miraculous resurrection. The baptism of Jesus is a picture of the gospel. We read in Matthew's baptism account that John was reluctant to baptize Jesus. John's like, no, 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 I ain't baptizing you. You gotta baptize me. John's like, I, 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 no. And Jesus is like, nah, son of God, I'm gonna, we're going to do this. You know? So John baptizes Jesus. And I think Jesus insisted upon it because he saw the bigger picture. His baptism foreshadowed the road ahead for him. There is deep meaning in the sacrament of baptism. There is an immense amount of grace for the person who is baptized. Baptism is extremely important for the New Testament church. So it's important because it's important. And we know it's important because Jesus commands those who have faith in Jesus, who have been baptized in Christ. He commands those folks to do what? I want you to go make disciples and baptize them as well. It's amazing how all this ties together. So this gets to the mission of baptism. So we got the mode of baptism, we got the meaning of baptism. That's, that's Romans six, Colossians two, and now the mission of baptism. Mark has his own account of the Great Commission. I'm going to go to Matthew here, and Matthew says this in the last chapter of his gospel: "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." So Jesus, says, I got all this authority. Now I'm going to give it to you to go make disciples of all nations, right? And then what else? To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Knowing what, no, no, see what comes first again. Go make disciples. 
and then baptize. So we have some ordering here. Like I said, this passage is referred to as the Great Commission passage, and it is, it is remarkable that in addition to the command to make disciples by preaching the gospel and showing converts how to live the Christian life, right? It's part of making disciples. You walk with them. But also we got this command, again, a command, an imperative. Go baptize. Of all the statements Jesus could have said, yeah, you know, he's about to ascend into heaven, right? Of everything he could have said, he says that. Go make disciples baptized. When a person is saved, we need to create space for a person to be baptized so that God's glory would be on display. And that individual can receive all the grace that God has for them. So, we see the thread that connects the baptism of Jesus, the meaning of baptism, and the command to go and baptize anyone who makes a profession of faith in Christ. Now, I'm gonna, before I end here, I'm just going to say this. There are a hundred questions people could be asking about baptism. I get that. We just can't hit them all. It's just not practical, not timely. That was the same thing with the Lord's Supper, right? Especially when you got these sacraments that have been debated for hundreds and you know, 2,000 years or whatever. People are going to have opinions and they have experiences in which opinions are created and you read the Word of God and you're asking questions. I get that. That's great. I think questions are good. If you've got questions, please come talk to me. Uh, we can look at the scriptures together and talk together. And I just, I get that. I totally get that. So there's grace. Like I said last week, there's grace as we wrestle with these beautiful sacraments that God has given the church. And as I said last week regarding the Lord's table, um, baptism is not a trivial matter. Um, God has given us this sacrament to bless us, right? Uh, to allow us to enter into all the grace that God has for us. To, for an opportunity to rejoice and celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to share our testimony so that God would be glorified in our life. And baptism is one of those moments in the church where that is so clearly displayed. Let's pray.